0: Welcome to The Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong. The Contrarians is brought to you by Smarks Like Us Clothing and Avnio Films. Be sure to keep up with the pretentious ramblings of Alex and Julio on Twitter, at JamesAlexMattis, and at Avnio. that's O-V-N-I-O. Yes, this is the main theme from Star Wars Episode 3. Why, you might ask? It's simple. It's the best film in the franchise.
1: Andrew Urban from Urban Cinephile says, As today's audiences, young ones especially, expect and want a larger doses of effects and stunts and pyrotechnics, the film is made in the internet equivalent of capital letters and its simplistic morality stands out on the big screen more so than on the small page. Our our idol Roger Ebert Said, the really good superhero movies like Superman, Spider-Man 2, and Batman Begins leave Fantastic Four so far behind that the movie should almost be ashamed to show itself in the same theaters. <laughs> and to close, Sean Means from Salt Lake Tribune says, after this lackluster outing, the thought of a sequel is a stretch not even Mr. Fantastic might be able to make. Nice. Nice. But it's like, suck it, Sean Means, because they do (laughs) have a sequel. Well,
0: hello, and welcome back to The Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong. My name is Alex, joined as always by Julio. Thank you for the introduction,
1: Julio. How are you doing today? Doing great. I was inspired by this uh, wholesome superhero movie we just watched. Yes. It's wholesome, it's
0: intelligent, it's uh, very underappreciated. Here today we're talking about the Fantastic Four from 2005, the Marvel superhero vehicle. This came out the same year as Batman Begins, and you know, the Christopher Nolan trilogy gets a lot of credit, and I think in 2005, that
1: credit went to the wrong place. Because it's so cool to, you know, be dark and and gritty, you know, And, and unfortunately, Fantastic Four is about the complete opposite. It's about family and about values.
0: And you know, the Christopher Nolan focus so much on the visuals whereas this Fantastic 4 it's it's smart and quick. If you don't keep up, you're going to get lost fast.
1: Yeah, yeah, it doesn't need like anything fancy. It's not about, you know, it's not trying to dazzle you with with you know, surface elements. This is just about core morality. We start
0: off The Fantastic 4 with a big shot of a big statue of a man named Victor Von Doom. It's being worked on as uh I guess Two of our four main characters, you would say, Reed Richards and Ben Grimm, played by Ian Grufford and Michael Chiklis, respectively, are outside of Von Doom's office, and they're going in for Reed to make a big proposal. He is trying to get into outer space as he believes he found what started evolution and that it was these clouds of cosmic energy, and he's trying to get funding for this. And to do that, he's got to go through Victor Von Doom.
1: Science is at the core of the Fantastic Four, you know, the comic and, and all their adventures. And the movie doesn't shy away from that. It, it understands that its audience might have a little trouble because this is not, you know, what you're used to in superhero movies. I mean, they're tackling evolution right out the, the exactly. gate. So it's... But, but I'll give him credit, you know, this is a movie that holds its audience by the hand and doesn't let go for two hours you know they will walk you through this they'll make sure that you understand every step of the story so don't be intimidated by the science because Reed Richards is as down to earth and as simple a man as you could want to carry you on this journey
0: yeah, like I said though, don't turn your head, don't stray, because you got to keep focus, or else you'll get lost in the shuffle on this one. So Von Doom is played by Julian McMahon, and he, you know, we don't get such a good vibe off him right off the bat. You think, uh, especially with a name like Von Doom, he'd be a bit nicer, but I think there might be foreshadowing there. Through all his strife, and he has some inquiries about the uh, experiment in space, but he decides to fund it for Reed. But not before we meet Von Doom's secretary, played by Jessica Alba, Sue Storm, who comes and just... Brings the acting in this film to a whole new level.
1: You know, the movie had this challenge because when the original Fantastic Four were published, you know, that was like all the way back in the 60s, and where, you know, the female character was, it just didn't get any respect, you know, because it was just like she was the woman. And so she was basically there to be rescued by the three guys, whatever. But the movie, you know, they give her, they, they give her power. I don't know if you noticed it throughout the movie, but she gets the power lines. Oh, yes. You know, she has like the button of the scene. And in the
0: 21st century, who better to choose as the face and figurehead of feminine? femininity and feminism and female power than jessica alba
1: exactly you know and it's like don't be confused don't even try to bring up the point that you know they show her cleavage a lot during the movie just because it's jessica alba she's like like, no it's because she just owns it Mm -hmm. you know why should she be ashamed of her body the way the movie tackles the issues of image and we're going to talk about this throughout the review it's very interesting
0: And right away, we see that there's some romantic history between Reed and Sue, as there's a quite palpable tension, both sexually and professionally. Like you said, the film holds your hand and kind of lets you through the more we go into the film, but you get the hinkling right off the bat here. So they're discussing who's going to pilot the ship, the voyage into space, and it's discovered that Michael Chiklis, Ben, will not be doing it. It's going to be Sue's brother, Johnny. And we get this awesome cut of Johnny Storm, played by Chris Evans, riding his motorcycle Whilst we'll making out with a girl that's driving a sports car right next to him, and we know that this guy's just going to be the rebel, the loose cannon of the bunch. You need
1: that, you know, because uh, uh, again, you know, this is ultimately a movie about family, and, and families are made up of different characters, different personalities. You have you have the nerdy, intelligent, kind of naive guy in the ways of the world, Reed, you know, and then you have the complete opposite—the guy that's not an intellectual at all, but he he knows he's street smart, and he knows how to live life.
0: The brute. Brute. Yes. <laughs> and the badass Johnny Storm is on deck, and we get our first, what I coined, ha cha cha moments of Jessica Alba <laughs> as she shows up in her spacesuit, and, you know, she's proud to be a woman and she's going to flaunt it here. The team dynamics are apparent right off the bat. The aforementioned tension between Sue and Reed,
1: and Johnny Storm and Ben aren't getting along so well. Yeah, and then, you know, Victor is also there just kind of like slapping everybody with their dicks uh, <laughs> because, you know, he holds all the cards. He, it's very interesting, you know, Sue's suit, you know, it just really shows off her body. But notice, you know, I pointed out while we watching the movie, it's like, Reed, he finds the suit interesting because, you know, they describe it as a second skin. He's not distracted by her cleavage, you know, by her looks this is a man that, you know, has higher aspirations, and that's how you know that eventually his love for Sue is going to be purer, more true, more you know, it's it's real, because it's not about the surface.
0: Before we know it, we're already in outer space, there was no real warning that we were taking <laughs> off, like, we just appear there. So we're up there, and it seems like everything's going good, but as soon as we're in space, as soon as things start going wrong, as there was a major miscalculation from Reed on uh, how much time they would have with the cosmic energy cloud, the cloud is accelerating, in his words. Yeah,
1: it's, it's perfect timing to because it's almost like the universe didn't want Sue to hook up with Victor cuz he's proposing to her right before this whole thing, you know, hits the fan. And he says I
0: have four words for you, you know, will you marry me? But nope, Reed comes in and says the cloud is accelerating. The problem with this is that Ben That's four
1: words. <laughs> Yeah. A cloud. <laughs> that
0: cloud is exciting. You didn't get that? Nope,
1: this movie is... I told you, you, you got to keep it, up, yeah. man.
0: The problem with this is that Ben is currently out on the field inside the cosmic cloud and he's trying to do some analysis and studies. And if this thing swallows him, God only knows what's going to happen. And this energy cloud just keeps growing and growing as they're trying to get Ben back into the ship. And it's just too little too late as the cloud comes in and there's massive exposure to everyone on deck. Which at this
1: point was... the the five people that went up. It's it's fair to point out at this point that this is not exactly how it goes down in the comics. And, I mean, I don't want to keep comparing the movie to the comics, but I think that we should whenever there's an improvement on the original story. You know, in the original story, the Fantastic Four, just the core four, are the ones that go out there and get the powers from the storm. The movie version very wisely puts Victor Von Doom in the ship with them. That way he also gets powers from the accident. What that means is we don't have to wait for Victor Von Doom to become like an evil genius and you know become a supervillain later down the line. The movie knows of what we want this this clash of personalities. We want the supervillain right away by saving the time mean not having to build up the Victor Von Doom storyline later down the line that frees up some of the runtime of the movie mm-hmm. you know so we can have more like montages and silly uh, action scenes with Johnny Storm so I really like that they, they combined everything together and
0: just massive horrifying wrecks that are caused by the fantastic oh yeah King. yeah 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 so after this exposure we come to a quarantine where they're all being held until they can figure out exactly what's going on we get a very nice and pleasant cameo from Maria Menudos, who is as talented as she is. Actually, she plays Johnny Storm's nurse. She takes his temperature, and I think she just is so charmed by him, she just completely neglects
1: the fact that his temperature's at 209 degrees. She seems, I mean, she seems concerned for like two seconds, and then he takes her snowboarding, and she completely forgets about it.
0: They go to hit the mountain as Sun 41 plays in the background, and superhero movies can take a note from this. We don't get enough good, just fun rock. It's all about you know your Hans Zimmer's and your Harry Gregson Williams just making these very dramatic scores that really add nothing to the film.
1: Yeah, and not just that, but they're out of control. Superhero movies, you know, their special effects, their super complex plots—it's just it's too much. They really could take a lesson from the Fantastic Four movie and really pare things down. Sometimes all you need is Johnny Storm snowboarding with a hot girl. We're, what, 20 minutes in the movie? And that's, you know, that's cool. That's, it puts
0: you at ease as an audience member. Yeah, and,
1: and really, you don't need to do any more to impress me. I didn't even need him to burn the flames at the end. I was, it was just cool to see him snowboarding. Because that's that is cool, kids. That's, and somehow, at some point, you know, in, in the process of, like, each superhero movie trying to one-up each other, now it's like, oh, well, now you need 30 minutes of an alien invasion to be cool. But back then, in 2005, Tim's story got it. It was like, all you need is a snowboard. And some
0: forty-one. Yeah, with Maria Menounos. Exactly. As his speed accelerates going down the mountain, Johnny Storm begins to just spontaneously burst into flames. And this is the first hint of his power that we've seen so far. He just turns into a big ball of fire and just crash lands into the side of the mountain, causing a, a big boiling crater. And, of course, his clothes are melted off. And Maria Meninas doesn't really seem to question this. She's just
1: so charmed and smitten with him that she just joins him. Well, I mean, he's super cool about it, so why would she be worried? I mean, he's just, he literally just bursts into flames, and he is fine with just it. Just no cells. it, acts like it's no big deal, Yeah, but that's cool because he recognizes what what the audience does as well, which is this good this is evolution this is science working you know for the betterment of humanity
0: and as part of the the family as the team as he was kind of the, the recluse the badass of it all it seems fitting that he would just accept this like it's fitting of his personality and that he's just like hey just roll with
1: the punches yeah that. i mean i think that sometimes scientists should be a little more reckless you know that's like can you imagine like the strides and advancement that we would have made as, as a civilization if more people were like willing to just Go with it the way that Johnny Storm does. <laughs> he gets it. He, he's like, well, this is this is how we are now. Now we turn, you know, now we can instantly produce fire and, and turn into like a human torch. Let's go with it. That's let's good. let's see where it takes us. What's next? Yeah,
0: we go back to the quarantine area and we see Devon Doom and we get the first hint of his powers since the exposure to the cosmic energy, which is electricity.
1: A deviation from the comics, but again, a good one because, like I said, you don't have time to like the movie is two hours and Tim's story obviously. Knows that no movie, no superhero movie should be over two hours. You know, he will perfect it in the sequel. He made it like an hour and a half. But yeah, Mm -hmm. two hours is pushing it. And you really, you can't really do justice to the Doctor Doom story from the comics in two hours. Not Mm -hmm. if you're also going to introduce the Fantastic Four or anything. And yeah, you could argue that maybe a wiser approach even would have been to just delay Doctor Doom until the second movie. (laughs) But come on! (laughs) This story had to like go all out because. At the time he was doing this, he didn't know if there was going to be a second movie. Yeah. And really, to make a Fantastic Four movie without Doctor Doom, it's just it's, it's unthinkable. It'd be like making a Batman movie without the Joker. Exactly. Which, <laughs> in the same year, you know, Christopher Nolan had the gall to do. Yes, except that Nolan, you know, he had, like, that card at the end. With the, so the Joker isn't in, in Batman Begins at the very end.
0: That's why Batman Begins was a giant cock tease, whereas here we just get, you know.
1: Exactly. Yeah. You know
0: what you're getting. Ben's not feeling too well, he can't quite put his finger on what it is, but he somehow through his charm and... Smarts, his street smarts. He gets Sue and Reed together to have a drink, you know, so they can reconnect. And the chemistry is there right away. Yeah. And not just between the characters, but with Griffith and Alba, you know, just fantastic on-screen chemistry.
1: Literally fantastic. I think I mentioned it while we were watching the movie, and I really hope it's true. It could have been like just a rumor that wasn't, but Ian Griffith was like in the short list to to be the new James Bond, and I guess ended up going to. uh whoever that thug is. Daniel Craig? Yeah, Daniel Craig, okay. I guess they wanted, like, more cheesecake in their Bond series. But, you know, Ian Griffith has the goods. He he manages to be sexy without being overly (laughs) sexual in those scenes. He can portray chemistry with a female without being obsessed with her body. You can tell that what he appreciates is Jessica Alba's mind.
0: So it's through this reconnection that we get a discovery of powers where Sue just turns invisible all of a sudden. Her personality becomes shy, so... Her outer body reflects that. This freaks her out and she knocks a wine bottle off the table to which Reed is able to stretch and grab it. And both of them are just rightfully freaked out by it. They don't own it like Johnny.
1: It's a key moment in the movie, though, because this is really where the movie lets you know where you're going to stand regarding its special effects. Because really, yeah, they could have gone overboard with the stretching. You know, they could have made it look good, you know, (laughs) quotations. But no, that's not the kind of movie this is because it's not about the powers, guys. It's about, you know, the chemistry. It's about Reed and Sue. Mm-hmm. The stretching is just, you know, a distraction. It's not really about that.
0: It's a story of family just cloaked in a superhero movie. Yeah,
1: I mean, I could see, like, you know, other directors. like I could see Joss Whedon doing the Fantastic Four, and then he'd be like, no, you know, the special powers need to look good because that's what the movie's about. No, this is about people. Yeah. So, yeah, the stretching, who cares, you know? It, it's supposed to look hokey because, because superpowers are hokey, but what really matters is the heart of this family.
0: We go back to Victor, whose hair is falling out. Um... You know, this doesn't really come back into play at all for the rest of the film, but I appreciate Tim Story's effort to do at least one shot of it just to show the distress
1: that he's in. Like I said, the movie tackles the issue of image. You know, you have Johnny who's just really proud of himself, but he's so proud of himself that he he comes across as an asshole most of the time. Whereas you have Sue who looks great and obviously has an issue being a woman that is only seen as, as a hot woman, you know, and in and, and turn her power makes her invisible, which gives her a new perspective on that. And then you have you have Reed who just doesn't think of appearances. Mm-hmm. You know, he's kind of like the next the next level of evolution in humanity. He just doesn't think sexually. And then you have, you know, poor Ben who who eventually becomes just a monster and has to deal with a different image problem. And then, you know, Victor, who's Going bald and has like a scar that keeps growing inside of his face. If you want to know where you are in the movie, you know, if the, if the scar is like halfway through his face, and you're halfway through the movie. Exactly. So, yeah. When it
0: wraps around his chin, you know you're wrapping up to the very end. Yeah, yeah,
1: you're like getting ready for the credits.
0: So everyone figures out what happened. The cosmic energy cloud altered their DNA, and so now they're just trying to figure out how to consolidate the problem. During all this, is when Ben becomes the thing. He, you know, just transforms, crashes through his bed, and just runs out the window and runs to the hillside as the rest of the crew is just, you know, wondering where he's gone. He robs a big and tall store to get himself a nice burly hat and a trench coat, and then he goes to find his wife. Home is where he wanted to go.
1: Yeah, it's. Uh, I understand. I forgive Ben. I understand that he just wasn't thinking clearly because mm-hmm. obviously he just became a monster. It's easy to say, "Well, I would have stayed in the lab where I could have been like maybe treated for my affliction." But no, instead, I'd rather go terrorize my wife. But that's not how he's thinking. You know, he just he just wants comfort.
0: He goes to get it and he calls his wife from a payphone outside of their apartment and asks her to come outside. And she comes out wearing her nighty, you know, in the streets of New York. Just that's how much la- she loves him. In her lingerie, just waiting to surprise him. She sees him and flees in terror. He is just completely shut down. We get an impression who the, the strong-willed people are and who the hollow people are in the world.
1: Yeah. And, you know, that's all you need, really. Because, again, kudos to Tim Story for remaining focused on the story that, that we want. Ah, Tim Story is focused on the story <laughs> that he knows we want to see. You know, because this could easily have been derailed by you know into like some sort of marital drama between you know Ben and his wife and them coping with the way he looks but no he knows that you know, all we need to know happens in that scene and then the one that happens a few minutes later you know she sees him she flees that's all you need to know there's no need to spend time Developing the character, you know, that we know, we know that that you know, she's just not for him. She's not meant to be part of the Fantastic Four, part of this family. He's
0: so timely. He he
1: says what he wants to say in just a thirty second scene, as opposed to taking a whole film. There's more important things to get to. You know, going back to the the thing with the special effects, it's so good that they show what Reed's stretching and what Sue going invisible looks like because that way they're setting us up so that we're not disappointed when we see. The way the Ben looks, mm-hmm. you know it's like, yes, nowadays we probably would have gotten like a full on cGI you know thing, and it would have felt so fake and so like, oh, it looks cool, but it looks fake. I'd rather have like a i mean let 's say it a, a shitty like you know mm-hmm. thing costume. But you can see Michael Chickles' eyes there, and that's really what drives the scene. That's where the
0: acting comes through. Exactly. So Ben is obviously sad, and we find him the next day on a perch on the Brooklyn Bridge, just, you know, sitting there contemplating this and that about life. When a jumper comes up, it looks like a businessman that's going to commit suicide, and Ben tries to talk him down. He says, hey, look at me. You think you got problems? Naturally, this guy's terrified by him, so Ben tries to help him get down, but ends up just causing this massive car wreck.
1: Uh it's it's our first uh, big set piece of the movie probably our biggest really. I mean, you know, we've had the storm that gave them their powers mm-hmm. early on, but that was kind of quick. This yeah. this is I mean, I don't know if you ever been Trapped in traffic when a wreck happens on the highway or whatever, Mm -hmm. but you're stuck there forever. And I like that the movie acknowledges that because this scene goes on forever. (laughs) It's it's just like, you know, because the band's attempts at saving this guy, there's like a series of of car wrecks and then the highway backs up and then the team tries to, like, you know, Sue, Reed, and Johnny try to reach him. And it's like, this goes on for, it feels like an hour. I know it's less than that, but I, I really credit Tim's story with being able to capture the feeling of being trapped in a wreck while you're watching this sequence in the movie.
0: So Ben's trying to save this jumper, and he falls into traffic, and so basically Ben has to block him using his body. It just causes this massive pileup, and on the other side of it, waiting in traffic, is Johnny, Reed, and Sue, and they're wondering, you know, what's going on, and I think they, do they see Ben
1: on the other side? I can't remember. They figure it was him. I think that they got there because I saw him on the news, maybe. I know that they, they know that he's on the other side.
0: So they need to get through, and they're convinced that they can't get through because, you know, there's a big pileup, And the police are already showing up, and there's roadblocks and everything. And Reed says, but you can to Sue, implying that she can get invisible and, you know, sneak through. So he employs her to take off her clothes, which we get ha-cha-cha moment number two of the film, in which we get a shot of Jessica Alba in her brawn panties, just owning it. She has a fearless performance in this. I yeah, think. but also,
1: I mean, this is a very clever way of, of giving the audience what they want, but not the way they, they expected. Because I can tell, I mean, this is 2005. Superhero movies hadn't really caught on, you know? like mm-hmm. It's not like Tim Story was like, hey, I'm going to do a Fantastic Four movie, and they just told him, okay, you do whatever you want. I'm sure he had to deal with lots of studio notes because they're like, I don't know if this is going to work. It's superheroes, you know. And it's like, you have Jessica Alba. You have to have Jessica Alba take her clothes off. That's the whole point that you cast a hot girl. So how does Tim story get around that? He's like, okay, I'll have her take her clothes off, but you won't be able to see anything. It's just (laughs) invisible. That's brilliant. She gets
0: through the other side, and somehow Johnny and Reed do too. Like I said, you got to keep up with this, you know. And, And it's also, it just speaks to the implied intelligence of the Fantastic Four because... You get stuck thinking like, wait, how'd they figure that out? I haven't figured out how they did that. That's because they're smarter than you.
1: That's what they're fantastic and you're not. They they can do these things.
0: So suddenly they're just through to the other side. And um, at this point a fire truck comes. It begins to derail after hitting the brakes. And it almost flies off the bridge. But the group uses their combined powers to save everybody. Which leads to the city of New York and it's fire department and police department giving them a standing ovation. That
1: is, that is a theme that runs through most Marvel movies. I was glad that, that even though this was not produced by Marvel Studios, I don't think Marvel Studios even existed back then, but you know, but they still managed to capture that, which is, I think, Marvel has this, this faith in New Yorkers and the New Yorker spirit, which is, like, no matter how bad things get, they're always up for, like, cheering on, like, you know, whoever saves the day. No matter what they look like, no matter how much destruction they caused uh, when they were trying to save them, you know? In the end, yeah, like you said, this this whole scenario in the highway happens because of the Fantastic Four. Mm-hmm. And so all they're doing is basically cleaning up the, a mess that they made. That they made. And New Yorkers, they're like, that's cool. Yeah. You know, I was bored on my commute to work today, <laughs> and now I got a show and out I of can,
0: it. I got something I can tweet
1: about. Yeah.
0: There is one person in New York, however, who's not impressed by this. And it's Ben's wife, who fights her way to the front of the pack, similar to, like, Jenny and Forrest Gump. Except she's not there to embrace him. She's oh, no. there to leave her
1: wedding ring behind. As if, you know, she had not caused the poor guy enough heartbreak. No, she, she has to, like, add, add a little more. But that's good. That's Tim's story telling us, hey, we're moving on. Mm-hmm. Do not be fooled into thinking that we're going to waste time with this fairly traditional love story. You know, a woman that sees, like, an ugly man and now she runs away from him. No, we're moving on because there's better things in store for Ben and the rest of the team.
0: So the four have been dubbed the Fantastic Four by the local media and townspeople, and they've become instant celebrities within New York City. Johnny seems to be the only one of them who really appreciates that, as he's just hamming it up. That goes back to earlier. He he just rolls with the punches. He's like, "This is where we are now. This is what we. This is what we're going to be."
1: Yeah, and that's and that's again, you know, driving home the point that they're they're a family in, in the end, you know. Isn't that how it is? Like every time you go to family gathering and it's like, oh, you have the one cousin that's like really excited about dinner. And then there's like, you know, the, the cousin that is working on his homework and then the cousin that is just ugly and sitting on the side. And then, uh, and then the hot cousin, you know, mm-hmm. but they all have different takes on what this dinner is going to be like.
0: We could cut to Victor Von Doom's office as I guess it's the head of his financial department. Again, you got to keep up. These things aren't explained to you. So he's lost all the financial backing for everything he has. So he's done. He's kaput. He has nothing left. And, you know, you can see the twinge in his eye and his scar get a bit longer. So, you know, that this is the thing that's really going to push him over the edge. And
1: I think that the movie knows that we know that he's the bad guy. So there's no point really in, like, over-explaining things, you know? That's, it's, it's a slow a slow build to him. What really needs development in the movie knows this is the, the team, the Fantastic Four that we want to see. So, you know, we get a scene or two of Victor Von Doom from time to time just seeing him getting crazier and getting more powerful. But, uh, but you know, the heart of the movie is the four superheroes, and that's what we're focusing on. And we
0: go back to um, Reed's office, I guess it's his laboratory. They arrive there, they're going to go and figure out exactly what the hell's going on with their bodies. Before they can make it up there, though, we get our cameo from Stan Lee, of course, the creator of Marvel and a hero to all. Yes. And, you know, it's kind of like the, the tale of the family in that, you know, things may look really bleak, but then when you see your happy grandpa, you know, you're just, everything's going to be okay.
1: Yeah, and also, I think it's the first uh, and only time in a Marvel movie that Stanley actually plays a character that's in the comics. You know, he plays Willie, the mailman, which is a character in the comics. Uh, all the other times, you know, they haven't played just some random wacky person in mm-hmm. the background. But this movie, that's how you know it's the real deal. They figure out a way of bringing Stanley in as a legitimate character.
0: So they go to the top floor where Reed's laboratory is located. Nice setup he's got there. You know, I thought he was doing—he was strapped for cash, but he mm-hmm. must be doing all right.
1: Well, I, I think that you know he's—you know—every genius has like a, a downside. I think his downside is he just doesn't know how to manage his money. Because I don't know if you noticed, but you know, Stanley hands him like a huge stack of unpaid bills, mm-hmm. and he just kind of tosses them on the side. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, uh, it's a good thing that you know he has other people to take care of him because obviously uh, he he just doesn't know how to manage his money. We get our first glimpse of Victor
0: being the supervillain as he just shows up into Sue's little apartment that she has there at Reed's Place. And there's no explanation to how he got in. He had to sneak in somehow because it's a guarded place. But he gets in there and he wants Sue back with him. And she's not having it because she had found a book of memories. Yes.
1: It was, it, that was so sweet. Is the kind of thing that you don't see in movies these days anymore. But I'm happy that Tim Story and his team were able to reach back in time and, and you know, get back to an era where uh, people still did things like that, you know? Scrapbooking and Scrapbooking, such. Scrapbooking, and, you know, she has all these pictures of her and Reed back in the good old days. You know, even the book is called Memories. It's, you know, When I was telling you that the movie holds you by the hand, it's like... I mean, yeah, you might get lost in some things that are, like, but not important. Like, when it comes to the emotional beats, the movie makes sure that everything is, is titled you know, memories, and then we get a book of memories and then, you know, every time that there's something very important, emotionally resonant, you can be sure that there'll be a character that will say a line that explains everything, you know, that underlines that emotion.
0: So Reed's doing a series of tests and they're learning about all their powers, we're learning that even the organs of Ben are coated and hard as rock and they're still trying to figure out exactly what's going on with him, they figure out how to channel Sue's power of invisibility and that also she has like a force field that she can shoot out.
1: Yeah, it, it's very uh, risky what they do with Sue, and again, it's it's awesome that they actually pull it off. You know, they're not afraid of going into this, because basically they, they figure out that her invisibility powers depend on her emotions. Reed tells her, you know, how are you feeling when it when they kick in, you know? And she's like, well, I feel frustrated, I felt angry. And, you know, a lesser movie would simplify it to the point of like, oh, so when she gets angry, you know, when she... When she's like a woman, an angry woman, that's when her powers come out and that could be read like, you know, the wrong way. But no, the movie and Jessica Alba's performance, you know, they really give you a sense that it's not just that, oh, well, when she gets bitchy, she gets powerful. No, it's just that life is complex and emotions are complex and it's her having to learn to deal with those emotions that, you know, are the key to unlocking her powers. It's not like Reed, who's just almost emotionless because he's so cerebral.
0: And it goes back to what I was saying, the underlying tone of just feminist power in this, because they give her the most delicate power of all. Like, she has to keep control of it with her mental state, and they give that to the woman, and I think that's very empowering. Exactly,
1: yeah. It's like, it's really the most complicated of all the powers.
0: This leads, however, to Sue and Reed having it out about their prior relationship and just who was wrong and what? who did what wrong, it's clear the spark is still there. They're both just kind of afraid. It happens. It happens to the best of us. Superpowers or not. We get more ominous shots of Victor Von Doom just preparing himself and you know figuring out exactly how to use his powers.
1: His hands are just turning to metal at this point. The scar is about, like, what? Just, like, right under the nose by now? Yeah. Like, yeah. We're rocking,
0: like, a 75% scar.
1: Yeah, uh, his... He's already gone to the doctor, and the doctor told him that he doesn't know what's going on, but but he doesn't seem too concerned. His assistant, doing a great job of not mentioning it, (laughs) (laughs) treats him like nothing's happened.
0: He's starting to figure out that he has powers, though, and he's not going to use them for good like the Fantastic Four. We go back to the loft that the four are staying at. We get ha-cha-cha moment number three, as they're all donning their new costumes, or uniforms, as it were. And
1: Jessica Alba's is cut a bit more risque than the rest. That's fine, you know, she's not afraid of her sexuality. And in a way, I mean, she's trying to do Reed a favor because, you know, as as civilized as he is, as, as enlightened as he is by not, you know, focusing on, on, on the female body, he's missing out in life. Come on, Reed, I mean, you have to enjoy life a little and, you know, there's nothing wrong with, like, looking at a cute girl and appreciating, you know, not just her brains but the way she looks. Sometimes you
0: gotta undo that top button, you know?
1: Yeah, you know, she's trying to bring him out of his shell.
0: All of a sudden, Sue's no longer in her wardrobe. She is wearing, like, a pantsuit as she's just walking the streets and finds herself on the cover of People magazine uh, questioning who she's dating. And then the the people of New York that once applauded her just mob her with just random questions. and, You know, it's not a very endearing portrayal of the New York citizens. Well,
1: you know, where there's light, there's darkness. I mean, there's there's two sides to every coin, and I, I think they acknowledge the danger of fame is another of the threats that, that runs through the movie. While Johnny might be happy to embrace it, it really, I mean, not everybody can handle fame, you know? Being a celebrity means that you lose privacy, and then you have magazines wondering about your personal life and it means that you can't just walk down the street without being mobbed but people that i think they mean well they just want an autograph or whatever but but that is dangerous that's that's more dangerous than dr doom just mm-hmm. you know the fact that you just lose your privacy
0: unlike zane of one direction who can't become invisible and you know he had to quit sue is able to just shed her clothing and become invisible so that you know no one knows where she went and she can have her privacy so we see that reed is building a machine he's he thinks he's figured
1: out how he can simulate the Cloud, the cosmic cloud, and reverse what happened in outer space. It's adorable, like his his little like graphics that he shows them. You know, and and Johnny makes a crack about like how they're not pop ups on the on the display, but really, you know, it's like big and colorful, has big bold letters. It's like the movie, <laughs> you know. It's just like this is exactly what's going to happen. Don't miss anything because you know this is, this is important stuff.
0: So we get a montage as you do, and this is you know the movie's gotten so much suspense and built so much just tension at this point, but also you know good feelings and good. Vibes. That it's just necessary to have a fun, relieving montage. Of What's it? our
1: second montage, actually? Because remember, the first one is when they're like kind of testing their powers. So you get the montage of like oh, Johnny yeah. and the you know and the fire containment unit and Sue. This one's just a
0: bit more stylized. You got star wipes and side wipes. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, so, you have to
1: build up to that. You yeah. can't start with that montage. But I, I I liked it because I was thinking you know as, as I was watching I was like this feeling it's it's something that I haven't felt since like I was a kid. You know it's like I, I think they really go for the '80s wholesomeness feeling of, of of adventure movies. You know where things were simpler. And of course you need a montage or two because if you're doing like an '80s movie that's that's what you need.
0: We go from the fun to the. Easy- evil however as doom has figured out exactly how to harness his energy and powers and he corners in the parking garage one of his financial backers that backed out of the plan who isn't too apologetic of it so
1: he shoots him with a ray from his hand and just kills him in cold blood now he's crossed the line i mean i could see maybe some people that were not familiar with the comics and were thinking that maybe there was some redemption you know for this guy that maybe you know eventually he'd be embraced by the fantastic four and become the fifth member (laughs) but no now he's murdered someone
0: back in the loft johnny's just incredibly bored he wants to go out and he's tired of just being held up there so he decides to go to a local motocross competition and enter himself in that just full of hubris and thinking he can do you know some huge massive trick that no one's ever seen before But he's not yet in full control of his powers, so he ends up just bailing pretty hard.
1: Right. And again, you know, it's just like the confidence that the filmmakers have that, you know, you don't really need massive special effects in this movie about like, you know, a guy that stretches and a guy that turns into fire you can just have the guy that turns to fire ride a motorcycle instead and that's your set piece for that moment (laughs) yeah that that shows confidence
0: he does get an interview that's broadcast on television afterwards as the rest of the gang is back at the laboratory watching it and johnny decides to give them all names names himself the human torch sue the invisible girl read mr fantastic and ben the thing and ben's not too pleased with that nickname so really in a shocking amount of time they get down to where the motocross is just as johnny's leaving and tensions are hot, and we get a Burger King-sponsored fight between the thing and Johnny. Uh, but fortunately, Jessica Alba is able to come in and with her femininity and feminist powers and also just her raw acting ability just commands the scene and is able to talk the tensions down. It, the it's
1: beautiful and also refreshing in its honesty because, you know, lesser movies would try to kind of like hide the product placement, but no, I mean, Fantastic Four owns it, which <laughs> is good, you know? Don't, don't play with me, you know? That's, the, the product placement is less distracting when it's just... Out there, yeah. right there, it's a billboard. You know, let's let's not fuck around. We know what what we're dealing with or wait. Instead of trying to wonder why is there like a, a Burger King bag in the background, no, now we see like the whole thing, and, and we can focus on the fight, which is what we're there for.
0: And also just like the raw comedy of Johnny flying into the Burger King banner that says flame grilled to perfection, and when he hits it, it bursts into flame. Well,
1: you know, that's just like, every little detail is, is really well thought out here.
0: So the four are just, you know, at end, so we get the classic tale of the team, the split up, you know, you all got to go your own ways and get some time to yourself. Ben goes to a bar downtown to which, uh, you know, everyone's just staring at him and gawking and horrified. and. The bartender tells everyone in there, hey, this is the only mook from Brooklyn to ever go into outer space. Show him some respect.
1: Kind of a missed opportunity, since they were already kind of deviating from the comics a little bit, to rename the thing the mook. (laughs) That would have been amazing. I would have loved it. Johnny could have called him the thing later on, and Ben could have been like, I'm not the thing. I'm the mook from
0: Brooklyn. At this point, we're introduced to Alicia, the potential new love interest in the life of Ben, the thing. Played by Kerry Washington, Alicia is blind, and Kerry Washington plays this fearlessly she was forced to be reckoned with even back then we just didn't know it yes we go back to von doom's office as he's putting his plans into motion his plan is to take down the fantastic four one by one until he can get you know everyone
1: eliminated i'm not quite sure what his goal is when he gets rid of them i I think that he's just crazy or maybe we would have learned what his plan was if he had succeeded Mm -hmm. but i i think that he's playing it you know as it goes he's playing by ear you know, which is which is like a good way to go when you're dealing with like such unknown characters. You know, as, as as these people. Sometimes you don't need to know. Sometimes that guy's the good guy. That guy's the bad guy. That's all you need to know. Listen, if I'm shooting electricity from my hands, then you know I I'm gonna take it one step at a time.
0: <laughs> we go back to Reed's office as he's just falling asleep on the desk. You know, trying to get all these plans together, and we get hacha Cha moment number four of the film with Jessica Alba. She's. In her little cute schoolgirl
1: outfit and wears glasses. I didn't know she was wearing glasses at this film at all, but you know, it's. I think that it could be read as her, again, trying to get Reed out of a shell. But you know what? I just realized we missed, like, speaking of Hacha Cha moments, (laughs) there's more to Carrie Washington's scene early on, remember? Like, we have. What, what is this movie rated? PG? PG-13? PG-13, I think. Is it PG-13? That's great. Yeah. Well, it's still, like, you know, we ha- we get, like, the most awesome PG-13 sex scene, arguably, you know, between Alicia and Ben.
0: Oh, yes. Because, yes,
1: they're not having sense of the uh, sex in the traditional sense, but they're, like, you know, she asks to touch his face... And and what follows is just, it's basically a sex scene, yeah. you know? The reactions on both ends, and just, it's there. I mean, if if you've had sex before, then you can recognize it. And if you haven't, then that's cool, kids. It's going to go over your heads, and you're not going <laughs> to, there's no shame in that. But that is that is amazing. I mean, talk about Fearless Performance, I mean, her and Michael Chiklis go for it there, and and, and and they succeed. So that brings the hot shot shot counter up to number five. Yes. So, okay. Yeah, but but for Sue, Jessica Alba, you know. We're at four, right? Yeah, we're at four. Okay.
0: You know? So she suggests that Reed and her go on a break, so they go back to where they had their first date, the planetarium, despite it supposedly being the middle of the night, it's a pretty active planetarium, and they just have a discussion of their first date and how nervous they both were and at this point, Johnny should have shot across the screen because the fireworks you know were
1: yes. It's good because things are getting a little hopeless, you know you you can just you could feel the despair with like you know Ben feeling inadequate and and Dr. Doom like killing people you know, mm-hmm. and just the team overall like infighting It was nice to see you know their romance kind of like starting again
0: doom's first step in his plan is to plant the seeds of dissension. he finds the thing or Ben at a local diner. And walks in and, you know, starts making Thing second-guess everything. He's like, why hasn't Reed cured you yet? You know, I think he just wants to spend more time with Sue. And, you know, Thing, understandably so, gets kind of worked up about this.
1: I think he represents probably, like, you know, the executives that were telling Tim's story. Hey, you're taking too long with the, you know, team in the lab trying to, like, you know, figure stuff out. That's been, like an hour and a half, in, you know, of this movie, and we still haven't moved. Why hasn't Reed cured Ben yet? And so I think that that's really basically what Victor is voicing in the movie. He's, he's representing that.
0: So Thing waits at the laboratory for Reed and Sue to get back, and there's a fight that breaks out between he and Reed. Thing, obviously, I can't speak because I've never been turned into a monster, but I would try to give Reed a little bit of credit. You know, it's only been, uh, I think, two days since the transformation, and, you know... He's trying to make a machine that alters human DNA. That was the only thing I had a problem with. I would have been a bit more lenient understanding if I had been Ben.
1: Yeah, but much, much like uh, like Victor, you know, I think that he's just not thinking straight, and, and he's just he's just driven by raw emotion. So, but but speaking of that, also like you know, like they've had like maybe their powers for two days, and it's so far reads have been used for comic relief mm-hmm. because it's hard to make somebody that stretches like look cool. But they actually managed to make him look cool in this fight with Ben, Mm -hmm. you know, you're like, how is he even going to survive? But he just basically ties himself around Ben until Ben wears out. I mean, if that didn't get him, the the James Bond gig, then nothing would.
0: (laughs) So Reed's obviously very upset after this, so he just wants to try the simulator, see if it'll work. And he tries it on himself and it fails as he pretty much just turns into a pile of goo afterwards. It's
1: very uh, disheartening Mm -hmm. Uh, because he comes out at first and he smiles at Sue and then he melts.
0: He's discovered that it needs more power, more energy to power the machine to
1: afford to accomplish its full goal. I just realized because of what happens later, I guess like Doom had bugged the lab Mm -hmm. because he's watching them on TV. You (laughs) gotta keep up, man. You gotta remember
0: too, like sometimes they're not gonna explain all this to you. They're just a lot smarter than the audience, you
1: know? Yeah, well, they're just like, they're guiding you through the emotional, you know, through the line, but the plot details, just sometimes you you just don't think about them until later.
0: Yeah. So yeah, Doom had bugged it, and he hears Reed telling Sue this that there needs more energy, more power for the machine, and he thinks I can do that because he figured out his ray power. So his plan is working perfectly as he lures the thing back into Reed's laboratory and gets him in the machine, says it's working.
1: Yeah, and obviously Doom has like a spare key or something mm-hmm. because again, he just he just gets in there.
0: So he takes the thing's power away, and you know, as soon as Ben comes out of the machine, he's back to just normal Michael Chickless. And, you know, Michael Chiklis is a big dude because the trench coat he stole still fits him perfectly. Doom comes out and just bitch slaps him across the entire, like, length of the room.
1: He's obviously not in the, in the in optimal state of mind in, in the movie, you know. But, I mean, how old is Michael Chiklis? He's, like, in his 40s at least, mm-hmm. you know. He has to lived a little. And, actually, the movie, you know, tells you that, you know, he was there always watching Reed's back. But he falls for Doom's trap like a child. Mm-hmm. I mean, and then the realization... In his phase where he realizes, you know, he fucked up. <laughs>
0: what did I do?
1: Yes. So the movie will actually have the, uh, the characters vocalize their feelings when it's important.
0: The clatter that was caused by... Ben, tumbling across the room, awakens Reed as he comes out to see what's going on and Doom takes him out with little to no effort and he leaves him dangling over the side of the building and he goes and collects him at the bottom of the building, the the ground floor. Not before though, just mercilessly killing the doorman.
1: That's uh, a completely unnecessary death man, necessary for Doom to kill that guy, but for the movie and for the audience to finally, you know, just give up on on Victor, Mm -hmm. that's I think that's the last step.
0: It shows you as an audience that he's just reached over to that point of madness where he's inconsolable yeah i mean
1: i think it's worth mentioning you know this is
0: julian a, mcmahon julian
1: mcmahon i mean you know he was he was at that time his star was at the highest because he, he was in nip so i think that the audience it's natural you like him nip Tuck. you want to root for him even though he's doing these horrible things because you you have hope you mm-hmm. know it's like that guy from nip but you know he just killed like a doorman that all he said is just hi hopefully by then you yeah, know nobody's on his side
0: so he takes Reed back to his fortress, and it's at this point that we get the long awaited moment of the film with the Doctor Doom mask, which apparently was some sort of award that was given to Victor for like a financial contribution that he made to some scientific community. It, it, it's
1: almost like you can't fault him for turning evil when that's just like, you know, the way that his life was going. <laughs> Even when I do something award deserving, the award is this horrible mask that's bound to give nightmares to anybody that I bring over to, you know. <laughs> Just to brag about my award.
0: Sue and Johnny find Ben, uh, you know, just completely beaten and disheveled. Johnny was wearing a really swank blazer. I'm not sure where he would have come from or had the time to, you know, go out. Chris Evans, always looking good, so you can't argue with it. They figure out that Doom has taken Reed away. Ben is just, you know, beside himself and just feels awful as he's pretty much caused the entire thing. But Sue and Johnny are getting prepared and suited up to go over there and fight with Doom. We cut to Doom's office and he's freezing Reed. He's freezing him to where
1: he's solid so he can just break the rubber apart. He's he's smart and that visual of Reed frozen, I mean that is like... You know, whether you liked or hate Batman robbing, I mean that is a controversial movie. But I think few people would argue that the way that Mr. Freeze looked, Arnold Schwarzenegger looked in that movie, was like one of the highlights. Mm -hmm. And this movie just takes it a step further. You know, because Reed has no, like, cool armor around him. He's just rubber, and now he's frozen rubber. It looks It's a striking image. Yeah,
0: Doom plans on making Reed watch all his friends dying as he takes out a heat-seeking missile, which I guess he just kept under his desk. You know, some people keep, like, a letter opener or a gun. Well, you know,
1: he had that mask. He just started accessorizing.
0: Yeah. He shoots a heat-seeking missile at the laboratory, and Johnny obviously gets the idea that, hey, I have a high temperature, so I'll attract
1: it. And he jumps off the side of the building and turns on his flame and begins flying there's been like this this running you know plot through the movie of Johnny trying to fly and, const- and failing mm-hmm. you know he, he, he keeps telling people I think I figured out how to do it and then even when he goes on the uh, motorcycle stunt thing he tries to fly and he fails but here he flies, mm-hmm. which, you know, as the movie telling you, flying is not just, like, this thing that you can do for, for kicks. You fly when it's important. When lives are at stake, that's when you fly. <laughs> and, and it's showcased beautifully in that scene.
0: Or He's able to distract and eventually get the missile to go off, just with his ability, but Doom thinks it collided with him, so he says two down, two to go. Sue sneaks in, you know, invisible and everything, trying to save Reed, but Doom catches on pretty quickly
1: and begins... Beating her up pretty bad. I mean, it, it has. She puts up a fight. Mm-hmm. They, they. She puts enough of a fight until like you know she gets rescued. But you know, you have to take it slowly. Yeah. I don't think that. I don't think the world in two thousand five was ready for Sue to beat Doctor Doom. That would have <laughs> been just too much. <laughs> you know, we're we have to take it slowly. So she puts up a fight. Reed sees from his
0: chair, his frozen eyes linger to the side, and he sees his laboratory that the power machine, the cosmic cloud machine, is going again from his office. So he sees. And, you know, the audience knows that that means Ben's tried to reverse it and correct the harm that he's done.
1: Yeah, now some cynical audience member could be like, well, how, how did he get it to work? If he Doesn't he need more power? But no, okay, listen. He needed more power to turn back into human, but to turn back into a monster, he needs less power, obviously. And How yeah. do you know that? Because he turns back into monster. I mean, that's just, that's the only explanation.
0: And you would think it would take a bit more time than it does, but he is... In from the machine across town to Doom's office within like I believe like three or four seconds. I think it's just he may have gotten more powers like like jumping ability or maybe Johnny gave him a ride over there. I'm not well, sure. Well, I think
1: maybe he just jumped. You know like how the Hulk jumps mm-hmm. in the Hulk movies and you know goes across big stretches of, of land. I think that that's what he did. We just didn't see it because it's very obvious. that Tim Story did not want to go over two hours. Oh, uh, okay. You don't need to see him come across. You, you'd rather just have him show up. Yeah, and it's leading towards
0: the moment that everyone's really been waiting for. It comes in and he says, it's clobberin' time. Yes. And then he knocks Doom across the office.
1: That's his catchphrase from the comics, (laughs) and really, it's hard. I mean, you know, that might have sounded cool in the 60s, but how do you make it sound cool, like, you know, in the year 2005? Because you built it. You spend like, two hours working yourself up to it, and honestly... By that point, you're so invested in Ben's drama that he could have said anything and you would have cheered. So, that's the perfect time to have its clobbering time.
0: To drop the bomb. Yeah. Doom awakens fairly quickly, though, and tackles Thing out the window. And they go colliding through a hotel window, like a sunroof. And they go through the pool. And then they're swished out the window. It's a pretty fast sequence, you know. Like, the whole movie, you just got to keep up with it or you're going to get lost.
1: Yeah, it's fancy. It end up, like, in the, on the streets. There's it, it reminded me of the fight between Superman, and the three Kryptonians, and Superman 2, where it just, like, you know, it expands across the city. That was kind of, like, the same thing. You know, these two super beings pummeling each other, going from one location to the next, and, and you don't really know who's going to win. It could be anyone at that point.
0: So the fight spills out into, I think it looks like Times Square is where this is all coming to a head, is the Fantastic Four for the first time in the film assemble and they use all four of their powers together to defeat dr doom
1: it's it's clever it shows you know that everything that the movie has been working on all the themes has been touching on they just they all come to a head mm-hmm. you know it's like the idea that they are only as, as strong as the team not not individually you know they all and the fact that they all have to use their brains to to defeat Doom. They can't just use like brute force, or you know. The... But they
0: also have to use family to defeat him. Exactly,
1: it's it's teamwork, you know. And they have to trust each other, you know. When Reed tells Johnny to go Supernova, Johnny has to do it. He can't. He doesn't. There's no time to question it. So they superheat Doom's armor, and then the plan is to cool it off really fast with water so that he freezes. And Reed never tells Ben the thing to like hit him with water, but Ben yeah. knows right away why. Yeah. Because by then they're so connected that they just they're, they're a team. They know what they're doing. And also, you know. By now we 've reached the, the apex of this whole idea uh, the, this conflict about self image you know because really what the movie 's telling you is like it, appearances are not important what my, what matters is what you do you know mm-hmm. it just happens that by the time the doom becomes uh, a you know full on villain, he looks hideous, he looks at <laughs> you know his worst, but Ben also rejects his second chance of looking human order to do good, he becomes you know the thing again. That's the movie, just wrapping everything up nicely.
0: It wraps it up in a, a nice little bow. They overheat the steel body of Doctor Doom, and then they immediately hit it with water, so it just
1: solidifies,
0: trapping Victor inside of it, presumably.
1: I wouldn't blame you if you thought that they were killing him mm. at some point. You know, they don't kill him; they just freeze him forever. <laughs> so
0: after all this, there's a big after party thrown at the the bar of the Mooks downtown.
1: Who's paying for that party? (laughs) I think the city of New York because when we get there, the
0: police are thanking them. Yes,
1: yes. Uh, Because Reed is broke.
0: Yeah. (laughs) So Johnny's there, you know, schmoozing all the local women, ordering shots and just being as charming as ever. We get our next progression of the story of Alicia and Ben as, you know, love is blind and they've found each other and I think it's just a perfect match.
1: It's challenging. There is this sense that Maybe if if, if Alicia could see, she wouldn't like Ben. Mm -hmm. And, And I think that that was just... The movie has to leave you with something. You know, you can't, Tim story knows that the best movies are the ones that leave you wondering about certain things. Yeah. You know, and this relationship of Ben and Alicia, I mean, there's so many ways it can go wrong. Even at the very end, the last thing that they do when she touches him or she's like, I have to get better at, at filling you up. What does she say?
0: He has to get better at his touch because he goes to toaster and he breaks the glass. Right.
1: And then he's like, oh, I like the sound of that, which I mean, it's impossible not to think of them having sex then. <laughs> and that is like a very very scary you know scenario Mm -hmm. so there's there's trouble ahead for this couple and that's what the movie wants to leave you with Mm -hmm. you know that's 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 a sacrifice another sacrifice that that ben made when he decided to turn back he gave up sex forever or did he
0: reed didn't give up on sue though as they're outside of the bar and reed just decides to propose to her Some would think that was a bit abrupt, considering that it's probably only been a week since they've reconnected. But, you know, sometimes you can't stop love. You can't stop family. And she turns her hand invisible to accept the ring on her finger. And, you know, it's just a
1: cute winking moment at the audience. But not just that. It's acknowledging that it's not just negative emotions that turn her powers on. You know, obviously, good emotions, you know, joy, happiness, love, you know, make her powers work as well. So it's a movie telling you, see, it's not just when she's bitchy, it's also when, you know, she's happy. Basically, she's gained full control of her powers by being comfortable with all ranges of emotion.
0: And to celebrate this, Johnny jumps into the air and makes a giant flaming four over the city of New York, saying, we're here, and we're here to protect y'all, and, you know, things are going to be good. And then we pan out and see the Statue of Liberty, and we get a sideswipe and we're out. Or so we think. Something I will have to give Tim Story eternal credit for is he does the post-credit scene, but we don't have to sit through the whole credits. Exactly. He
1: knows that two hours is pushing it for superhero movies. It's like
0: he knows we're just ready, we're done, and we're ready to get out. Mm-hmm. We, he doesn't make us wait for ten minutes sitting through the credits, and we see that Doctor Doom is being what would you say, like boxed up?
1: Yeah, I guess shipped <laughs> somewhere.
0: <laughs> He's put in a giant shipping crate, you know, just kind of locked into a safe. And God knows where they're taking him. Maybe out to the middle of the ocean to bury him. Yeah,
1: I mean, it makes you wonder, like, what exactly happened after they froze him in the middle of the street? Like, what was the chain of custody to where suddenly, by the end of the movie, his assistant can just ship him back home? It's like, who became responsible for, for Doctor Doom after he was frozen? And has that person been fired? Because I really I really wish there was, like, a little short film somewhere that shows, like, how much money exchanged hands in order to Doctor Doom. Because that's a, like a man, a frozen man <laughs> that was terrorizing New York City. You know, you can't just make that go away that easily. Yeah. But, but at the same time, it's showing you that, you know, the Fantastic Four can do everything. Mm-hmm. You know? But it also explains why the New Yorkers are so happy every time somebody saves their ass because if they were left to their own devices. A giant steel man would destroy them. Exactly. They, they would just lose super all the time, even after they've been captured. Yeah,
0: it's kind of like just earlier when they somehow all snuck through the, the crowd of people. Sometimes, you know, they're just smarter than you. They figured it out, and that's all you need to know, really. Yeah. So that takes us out of the Fantastic Four. I think easily we can say after that one of the more underappreciated superhero movies of the
1: 21st century. Maybe, maybe even the best superhero movie of the 21st century so far. You mm-hmm. know, it marked, this one and its sequel marked like the end of an era. I think that, that that was when after that, Hollywood just gave up on good, wholesome, simple superhero movies and mm-hmm. just started like this race to see who can be the darkest and who can be the most like complicated. I, I just shudder at thinking what the Fantastic Four reboot that we have coming up is is gonna be like.
0: Yeah, without Jessica Alba, it's just she really needs to be commended for her performance in this. I think it was a very brave role for her to take and she nailed it out of the park.
1: Michael Chiklis was coming out of The Shield at the time, you know, so he was... I'm sure that, you know, the world was his oyster at that point. And he decided to take a chance and play a character in a movie where most of the time he was going to be hidden behind that giant rubber suit. He was like, no, he went with it because he believed in the project. All and, right. you know, the less said about Ian Griffith, the better. <laughs> I'll I respect his career by not... Mentioning it. We ready for real talk? Let's do some real talk. All right. T-shirts, t-shirts,
0: t-shirts. Hundreds of thousands of wrestling t-shirts, all for you to buy. Starring all of your favorite wrestlers: Daniel Bryan, Bret Hart goes to Montreal, some dead guy, the Blackjacks, and Lanza, not Wyndham and Bradshaw. Wrestling. Smartslikeus.com. 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 Selling you wrestling t-shirts. Also available: buttons, stickers, and kitty cats. Meow. Okay. So. Standard stuff. Fantastic Four was released on July eighth, two thousand five. Was supposed to be released on July first, but it was pushed back as to not compete with War of the Worlds. So instead they
1: had it compete with what? Batman Begins.
0: <laughs> I think Batman Begins may have come out before this, uh, but
1: I think that I think they we're... would have been better
0: testing their luck with War of the Worlds because yes. that movie bombed. So yeah,
1: yeah, and this would have been like nice counter programming. I mean, uh, there were uh, some people liked it. Russ Breimeyer from uh, Christianity Today said, Not all comic book movies have to be as weighty and angst filled as a graphic novel. Fantastic Four is neither fantastic nor incredible, but it's entertaining nonetheless. <laughs> <laughs> it's like kind of a backhanded compliment. It's just like, listen, it didn't suck. Yeah, it's okay. Uh, Stephanie Zakarek from salon.com says, it exists largely to entertain and delight, which used to be precisely what summer blockbusters were engineered to do. This is a movie that at least remembers what summer is for. Stephanie, come on. That's like, you're the reason they made this movie and it has a sequel.
0: (laughs) That's like, we were talking about the Jaws episode. The event movie... That doesn't give it an excuse to be bad. Like yeah. the summer movie can be good still.
1: Right. Oh, it's summer, so let's just like have it not make sense. It doesn't matter.
0: What was the outlet from the first one? Christianity Today?
1: Yeah, Christianity Today. That's amazing. I wonder I, I read the whole review and there wasn't like any mention of like Jesus figures, but I'm sure that you could like jam in some sort of Christian reference.
0: Doom uh, is the devil and uses his powers for evil and whatnot. Yes,
1: and you know, the holy trinity becomes the holy quartet. <laughs> <laughs>
0: So, resting at a fitting and potentially generous 27%, <laughs> The Fantastic Four was directed by Tim Story of Barbershop and Taxi fame. Who would, Why? Who would go on to make Ride Along. 20th Century Fox was impressed with his first cut of Taxi, so they gave him this project. you <laughs> he
1: can't handle action. <laughs> <So he> can,
0: <laughs> you can um, handle Queen Latifah. You can handle <laughs> a superhero movie.
1: I don't understand. I mean, I, I know that that's part of like you know the gamble of like, oh well, let's give this property to a director that you wouldn't see coming you know and they'll give you something new but the Fantastic Four to me like you know they're about cosmic adventure you mm-hmm. know about about science and you know pushing the limits of what we know and research and whatever. Nothing I haven't seen, you know, I saw part of Taxi I think, uh and I haven't Jimmy Fallon can be entertaining but not in film. that movie. I I mean what I mean is like I can't really talk shit about Tim Story because the only Tim Story movies I've actually seen are Fantastic for and a sequel. But it seems to me very clear that he was That's not, not his the wheelhouse. right it, exactly. Yeah. That's not what he was you know
0: It's like I I really enjoy Barbershop. I think it's kind of silly, but I really enjoy I think the acting like he got the best out of the talent that he had in there that is more his wheelhouse. Like, superhero movies are not. And um, I, I followed Fantastic Four very, like, limitedly. I, ironically enough, the main line I read was the Fantastic Four Unlimited. Um, <laughs> but even I knew that they just, like, hacked the story to shit and just, like, made it all over the place.
1: Yeah, there's uh, there's a sense of wonder that, that is missing from the movie. And that's really what I remember bothering me, uh, even before it got really bad. The first time I watched it, you mm-hmm. know, it just... From the very beginning, I was like, this just feels so pedestrian as a movie, you know? And it's exactly what Fantastic Four shouldn't be. I mean, Fantastic Four is about family, and it's about, like, just awesome stuff. Like, these are, like, the explorers of the universe of, like, you know... This is the complete opposite. It's just like... It just feels so low budget, even when it isn't. And so
0: poorly written. It was written by Michael France and Mark Frost. And Michael France has a writing credit for both Cliffhanger and Goldeneye, which are two awesome movies. So you'd think they'd be able to, like, churn at least something... Because it's so lazy. Like, that whole uh, Brooklyn Bridge scene we were talking about takes, like, ten minutes. And it's because <laughs> they're being idiots. They cause this giant wreck. It's just like they mapped out all the cool shit they were going to do, and they're like, wait, what causes the wreck?
1: Yeah, but that is, like, there's this, this, this sense to the movie, like, and I told you we were watching it, where, you know, they just want to get to the next big thing, mm-hmm. and so they don't really lay the foundation. So, that, I mean, the whole thing with, with Ben and his wife is, like, the perfect example, where this is supposed to be, like, brutal for the character, but you can't just, like, make it happen. you, yeah. know, you need to You need to, like, see them, you know, as a couple first. You need to see that they care about each other. And then the way that's portrayed in the movie, she's the most superficial woman on earth. <laughs> you know? She doesn't give him a chance for a second. And it's not like he looks... He doesn't look horrible. You know? Yeah. He looks, like, bulky and, like, stony. But there's even, like, she recognizes his voice. You know? And it's not like she caught him, like, eating a child or something. You know? He's just, like, a big guy. It's <laughs> that... like
0: Frankenstein just comes back <laughs> with the little girl that's dead in the flowers. Right.
1: But she reacts like she just saw, like, her worst nightmare. Yeah. And... And even, okay, so let's say that she has, like, poor impulse control, and she run away then. But then she sees him again later, and the best thing she can do is just, like, lay down her her wedding ring on the ground. That's just horrible. That's, like, I don't know. I don't buy it, you know? I would be like, hey, man, good riddance. Because, obviously, if she didn't leave you because you became a monster, she was going to leave you later whenever you, like... Game or weight Or something you Yeah, know? It's just uh, But but it's supposed to be Like this big emotional moment And that there's no Build up to it You know And yet the movie Is like two hours long Because yeah. it spends time On like stupid montages And like Really dumb comedy
0: Yeah that's it, what I was about to say It's like all the worst types of comedy that people put in superhero movies just, like, all put together. Yes, there's two montages. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure, with the exception of Man of Steel, there's never been a superhero movie where the heroes caused the most death and damage (laughs) than, like, the supervillain. It's kind of like, I was reading about the script process and I was telling you as we were watching it, it was first... Like, the process of making it into a new film started in 1983, like, trying to find backing and, like, all that shit, and then 95 it was greenlit and we got pushed back again. And it's kind of like Freddy vs. Jason in that it was a film that was in development for so long that what we actually got was such shit that it's just like, <laughs> what, what is wrong with you people? Come on. <laughs> and, yeah, just to get this out of the way horribly, horrifyingly offensive portrayal of a blind person by Kerry Washington. <laughs> you know, she's, she's a fantastic actress, no pun intended, but that's literally the being like, blind people are never going to see it, so who gives a shit? Like, <laughs> it was so offensive. I,
1: I didn't think it was that offensive because it's, a, it's like, it's a shit movie. Yeah. And I think that she might have maybe misunderstood the tone it's a hard scene to play, to mm-hmm. begin with. Because, again, you know, it's not like she gets much screen time. Yeah. You know, she she gets, like, one scene where she meets the thing, and then the scene at the end where they're basically a couple. So she has to make the most out of, like, that. She, You know, she can't... She doesn't have the time to give us, like, a nuanced portrayal of a blind person yeah. finding, like, this Rocky monster attractive. She has to go for, like, you know, the big hits right away. But still, and, it's
0: like, all the people who wrote this film, like, all, they should have just put giant, like... Ray Charles glasses on her and gave her like a 30 foot whacking stick have like her have like a dead cat that she still thinks is alive or something I was just it's yeah it's 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 really bad she has it, a much bigger role though in the second one so
1: yeah it, but that is like in the comics from what I remember like it, it's I remember how it goes in the movie I know in the comics mm-hmm. she befriends a silver surfer and mm-hmm. I don't know if that's what happens in the movie I don't remember I've only but, seen it once but I know that you know it makes sense that she would have a bigger role again
0: uh, Kerry Washington's great, and that story is fitting. It's one of the more, like, well-thought-out parts of the film, like the love is blind thing. But at the same time, yeah, it shows people that can see are extremely superficial, and then, yeah, just offensive shit. You know them. who's
1: a better character? The bartender. The one that says, hey, the smoke was the, the first... <laughs> the
0: guy from Brooklyn to brokerage. go to space.
1: Yeah, I mean, that guy, he can see... And he can see through, like you know, beyond the monster. And you know, he's cool. He tells I, people to give him respect. Yeah. yeah, I would have liked to see him. Yeah, more. The,
0: he's, they should have shown him, like, with the news cameras just clapping at his bar. And be yeah, like, shut yeah. up,
1: yes! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that there's there's this serious problem of like, I mean, probably the. the the Ben story is the most underdeveloped, mm-hmm. you know, but you have like four main characters plus about Guy and, and you're trying to give them all backstories and make them all compelling. And I almost want to say that maybe they shouldn't have spent that much time with the Reed-Sue romance because on top of it being just like really cheesy and generic They're and everything. They're
0: both terrible actors.
1: Yeah, that too. But, <laughs> but also like, you know, you don't really need that much explanation. I mean, Jessica Alba's hot, you know. Very. From the very beginning, you can see that she's attracted to him. So, you don't need to spend that many scenes telling us, you know, what happened between them and seeing them, you know, rekindle the relationship. But you should be using that time to really explore the things that we're not used to. Like, well, this man becoming a monster.
0: This you know? plays in really well, too. I've been listening to the Rotten Tomatoes podcast. They're pretty good. Like, I'd recommend them. But uh, they did a and a episode recently. And one of the questions was, when will we get a superhero movie that's not a reboot or, like, an origin tale? And it, their answer was true. The... People who make these films think the the movie going public is stupid, so they have to explain every single thing to them. Which, is like you said, that first scene where they clearly dated before, and then a couple more scenes. They don't have to spend like the whole shit like them talking about their first date and everything. It just it they think you're stupid.
1: Yeah, it's a shame because I guess they just. Not you, Julio. You're smart. Uh, well, I know I am. I, I'm part of this podcast. <laughs> but, no, it's a shame because I think that Michael Chiklis is actually, you know, he's, he does he gives the best performance in the movie, and he really, you know, the movie betrays him over and over. Yeah. And over. <laughs> so it's a shame. I really wish that, you know, when he hits those emotional moments, there was more leading up to it. You know, again, his, his decision to, you know, turn himself back into Ben Grimm is kind of like, that's a big deal and it's kind of, there's nothing to it. You know, it's like he turns back into the thing and then, you know, there's a big fight and then they're just like, yeah, well, and then it happened. Now he has a girlfriend. Yeah. That's blind. It's just, I don't know, there's a much more interesting movie that could have done just focusing on that guy. Mm -hmm. You know? And I actually think that they can be, you could take that cast and make a better Fantastic Four movie.
0: Maybe.
1: I mean, I, you know, Chickles is great. I think Chris that Evans, Chris uh, Evans uh, yeah. he plays with what he's given. You know, it's very that's, superficial and one-dimensional, but... I, I don't care for the Captain America films, but, like... What?! Yeah,
0: that's a different story. But my thing is, like, Christopher Evans is always reliable. He's been... Christopher, Jesus. Chris <laughs> Evans <laughs> is always reliable. I know you respect him, but yeah. come on. Even he goes by Chris. He's been in bad movies. Terrible movies, in fact. Like, this and a film called London... But he is always... Yeah, alright. Halfway through this movie, all that was getting it through me was Jessica Alba being hot and like Chris Evans because I thought he was enjoyable. The problem
1: is, they give him nothing to do and he, out of the four of them, has the least amount of screen time, I think. His character, you know, I think that in the comics... He can get away with being such an asshole because he's supposed to be much younger. Mm-hmm. But here he's kind of like a young adult, yeah. so the way he acts is a little more infuriating. I mean, I find him funny, but at the same time, it's just like he's too much of a bully for his age. Yeah, you know. But still, you know, good performer and Jessica Alba. I mean, you know, she she tries. I, I think the script she, is terrible, man. That's like every line that she gives, like every like big line that she yeah. gets, it's just so bad. Yeah, but it, that's
0: we were talking about while we were watching it. I really think her. She's just really, really ridiculously hot and that's why she's gotten the level of
1: success she has. I told you, I liked her in what? Sin City. Sin City. Yeah, the first Sin City, but it's not fair. I mean, it's gotta be hard being that attractive, you know, and then having to, you know, find roles that don't focus on the fact that you're attractive. Which and, is exactly
0: what this movie does. Like that scene we were talking about, the oh, we got through. That was only written so they could get a shot of her in her brawn panties.
1: Absolutely. Because yeah. like you said, you know, it's not like that becomes, a w- they don't explain how they get to the other side. It's yeah. just like, they made her go invisible and then they go the other way.
0: Yeah. So. But then they had that one shot where she comes back to like visible and she's in her brawn panties and everyone's like, woo. Which, I mean, I'm a dude, I'm not complaining. But that and then all her outfits are just like, <laughs> okay, you're the hot one, that's all you're going to do. I found reading about it that Rachel McAdams and Carrie Russell were also up for the role. Carrie Russell, yeah, like
1: my Carrie Russell, your Carrie Russell, yeah,
0: wow, and <laughs> I like both of them a lot, so I'm glad they weren't in this because that would have been very damaging. <laughs> but
1: see, that's, that's what I'm saying. That script, I, I, I want to say like it's unsalvageable. That's uh, you can't get like a good actress, uh, you know, the or greatest if he actress,
0: had Anthony Lapaglia in it. He could have done some damage.
1: He would have just like on the script and like, i'll do my lines i'll come up with them <laughs> there's there's just only so much you can do when like the, the the writing is so bad you know and so i i think with better writing that same that same cast could do could do well because they fit the types you're even a better
0: director because like we've seen great directors get amazing performances out of shite people case in point almost famous cameron crowe and kate hudson Time went on to prove she's not that good of an actress, so with a better director, you can do a lot. I, th-
1: I think there might be a problem with her picking projects rather than, you know, Almost Famous is a good movie, it's a great movie, yes. uh, but there's nothing else that she's done where you could be like, well, that's a great movie except for her. Dude, me, you, and Dupree, uh, what was the one she did with Dane Cook? Is that the one with Jason Bateman?
0: Uh, Jason Biggs. Jason Biggs. Thank you.
1: Yeah, no, Jason Bateman would have been... Neutron
0: Biggs. star Jason Biggs.
1: <laughs> yep. Did uh, Jessica Alba make a movie with Dan Cook? Yeah. Uh, um uh, The one with our boy... Oh, Dan Fogler? Yes. Yes. Sex. Uh, it's, uh, still sex. <laughs> sex. it's still sex. <laughs> sex! It's still sex! I don't know. I, I think they fit the type. You know, like, the guy that, that uh... You know, Ian Griffith. I mean, yeah, he will never be James Bond, you know? but but he could play a nerdy, you know, doofus. It's just that, you know, they should have given him something better to do. I've seen him in other movies. Well, I've seen him in one other movie Silver was, Surfer? No. <laughs> Besides the Fantastic Four franchise, he was in uh, this 3D movie uh, produced by James Cameron where, like, it's like a bunch of, like, divers going to this underwater cave, and he was, like, the bad Titanic? guy. Titanic? No. <laughs> He was a uh, he was a bad guy, and I was like, I buy him. I'm glad that he he's still like finding jobs after after Reed, but but that was it. I haven't seen him in anything else since.
0: Yeah, this whole movie just seemed like in every aspect for considering how long the screen like it was talked about. The product was just rushed. They're Like just get whoever, and we'll just fucking churn out a movie, and it doesn't have to make any sense because people will watch it anyway, which they did. Because it had a budget of $100 million, and it tripled that with a box office of $330.6 million and it got a sequel. So Yeah,
1: I mean, it made money. It was not about the quality. It's, yeah. uh, uh, I don't want to get too much of the sequel, because I have hopes that we'll do it at some point later. It deserves its own episode. Oh, it does. But uh, I I think that, you know, it's kind of weird that they stuck with Tim's story for the sequel. Because really, they could have put anybody else on the sequel, and, you know, it would have been better. Mm-hmm. Uh but they stuck with him and I guess he learned at least one thing, which is like two hours was too much. Yeah. You know, the sequel is like an hour and a half and, and that's probably you know, if you're gonna go this light with the material, then an hour and a half is all you need. And and then I guess this one has like this this ongoing conflict of like do I wanna be like a comedy or do I wanna be like an actual superhero movie with like, you know, an origin story and everything, you know, whereas yeah. like in the second one I think they go all out with the comedy. And uh, they don't have to worry about the the origins, so it's it flows a little better. It's still a really bad movie, but at yeah. least it's not like this one. It was it just kept dragging. I mean, yeah, it, it was gave
0: me... it was hard. It was like Paul Blart hard for me to like sit through it. Yeah, I, like I said though, I
1: could subsist on Jessica Alba and Chris Evans. So. But there was, like, just so much that I was just like, I don't really need to be looking at the screen right now, because I know how this plays out for the next five minutes. I think this movie, more than any other one we've done so far, I found myself just on my phone fucking around more than... Yeah, I told myself, at least I'm gonna go ahead and, like, find the quotes for the reviews. (laughs) (laughs) So so I'll still be doing, like, you know, something related to the movie. But yeah, everything I found on my phone was a lot more interesting than what was going on the screen.
0: It's one of those movies, too, it's like, I don't know if I can call it a failure or just say it sucks, because, like, you know, you can take good screenplays and then fuck it up, or vice versa, make, like, the director just drops everything, or the screenwriters drop everything, or the cast fucks everything up. I just think it just sucks. Like, I think that's the word you would use for it. I know that's, like, so pessimistic and nerdy to say, but, like, there's not much... That could have been done with what we had to work with. With this,
1: right? There was no way that all these elements together were going to make a good movie yeah. ever. You know, because you could have had a different cast with the same script and the same director, and it would have been shit. You could have had a different director with the same cast and the same script, and it would have been shit. So yeah, I guess yeah. no way. There was no way they could have won unless they scrapped everything. Yeah. and started from scratch. Yeah,
0: I, I, the more this wears on, that we're talking about this, I, I agree with that cast. You could have done more, but just all the elements combined, it, We didn't even talk about Julian McMahon. What a horrendous <laughs> performance.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Again, you know, it's like, what else could he do? i never watched Nip Tuck, and I've, I've only seen him, like, you know... I know he was, like, a recurring character in Charm, but I haven't really seen him there. But, I mean, you know, he's not a bad actor. I think that he could have, like, done something with the material if it given him something to do. But his character is just so ridiculous. I mean, especially once you sideline him... You know, because at least there's something to his interaction with everybody else. You know, it's Mm -hmm. like, oh, you have the four good guys and, you know, the douchebag that's constantly pushing their buttons. But then, after the first half hour, he's just having his own movie on the side.
0: with his growing (laughs) scar. Yeah, with his
1: growing scar. And there's, like, nothing interesting going on. Actually, every time we cut to Jelly McBang, I'll go to my phone and start (laughs) looking through the reviews. That was... You know, so the movie doesn't treat him well. They give him more to do in the sequel, which is good, but And they couldn't even do something like a frayed piece of metal flew off like the side of the ship
0: and that's what he used for his mask or something. He was just given his mask as an award. It doesn't
1: make sense. Like there's so much of the movie that just doesn't make sense. Yeah, uh, yeah no.
0: So yeah, twenty seven percent in my opinion Is a bit generous. Like, yeah,
1: that is pretty high. This should be like in the ten and under. Yeah, I think.
0: It's really bad. Um probably the least enjoyment I've gotten out of a movie
1: we've watched so far. Are you telling me you enjoy Paul Blart more?
0: <laughs> yeah, because we were at least able to, like, joke together. Like, we found ourselves laughing at how bad it was. With this, it was just... You can't even have fun with
1: it so bad. Yeah, it's... it's I felt bad. It was, like, almost like I felt embarrassed by what was going on. <laughs> I'm serious, man. Because I I think all these are, like, nice people, you mm-hmm. know? And they just... And, and to think that this came out, like, you know, the year the Batman Begins came out and, like, a year after The Incredibles came out, that's embarrassing to put out this movie, you yeah. know, when other people have already figured out, and they're like, no, this is how you're supposed to do it, you mm-hmm. know? I just don't understand. And The Incredibles, you know, all they had to do was do the live-action Incredibles. That's all they had to do, yeah. really, in a way. It, it, it was
0: but, basically written for you already. Yeah. Uh, and then,
1: like, closing, would you rank this in, like, the bottom five superhero movies of all time? I'm terrible with lists because I I have to like keep thinking and rethinking and everything. But uh, like I told you right before we watched it, Electro will always be the worst for me. I, I, I think Electro's the worst. Daredevil. Uh, no, no, no. Daredevil is better I, than like Daredevil is better than this one.
0: No, Daredevil. Without Daredevil, there would be no Electro. So that cancels that out. And no,
1: because then you're thinking no. You 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 have to judge the movie, not its legacy. X three, Spider Man three, Fantastic Four, Daredevil. That's probably. Wait, you think? Are you? From best I'm just saying, like, I'm just naming. Oh, okay, because, I mean, this is worse than Spider-Man 3. This is worse than Daredevil. This is worse than... X3? Yes. Worse than X-Men Origins Wolverine. Ah. (laughs) (laughs) That's the real question. This worse than X-Men Origins Wolverine. Because I know Electra's worse than this one and Wolverine. Electra's the worst. I can't think Uh... of a worse. We'll watch it someday. Because all the other movies, like, they had at least moments where I was just like, wow, everything came together, and it's a shame that the entire movie is not like this. But there's not a single moment in this movie, and from what I remember, there's not a single moment in X-Men Origins Wolverine where I could be like, oh, if only the movie could be just like this one scene. Uh,
0: Everything Liv Schreiber did.
1: (laughs) He's a good actor, but... uh, Well, it's been fun yeah next
0: episode we're not sure what we're gonna be doing but at least we know the quality of the film will be better so yeah
1: so we'll trash it we'll trash it good yeah so we're on iTunes rate, review, subscribe SoundCloud wearethecontrarians.com and our email address wearethecontrarians at gmail.com anything else to add this week? Paul Blart comes out on Friday, we're recording this on a Tuesday, Paul Blart comes out on Friday, Paul Blart 2, that is, and uh, I will not be watching it, <laughs> and neither should you, it's just <laughs> worth pointing out, because, you know, we did an episode where really, we got really angry about the fact that it was having a sequel, so...
0: Yeah, and that horror movie Unfriended's coming out, go see that before every new horror movie is about Facebook being haunted, so... <laughs> But it was a fun one, but that's going to do it for the Fantastic Four, and that's going to do it for us here on The Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong, and we'll catch you next time. Thank you for listening to The Contrarians. On your way out, be sure to swing over to youtube.com backslash ovniofilms. That's O-V-N-I-O films. And check out The New Adventures of Baby Jesus, a web series created and written by The Contrarian's very own, Julio Oliveira.
1: When I post this episode, I'll use the hashtag One Direction, just you know, because you just mentioned it.